Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. So it's my privilege this morning to be able to share uh, the uh, sermon time with you. And uh, just before we uh, get into that, uh, I, you may have heard that I received a diagnosis uh, for uh, prostate cancer a couple weeks ago. Um, if you hadn't heard, I appreciate your prayers uh, for me and for my family. Um, July 11th is when I actually find out what, what all I'm looking at in terms of a radiation uh, treatment regimen which is, I think, about three weeks' time or so, and then I'll know more, but it looks like I'm going to be spending a good portion of my summer uh, in the city at the cancer clinic, and so that's an experience that's be totally new to me, So, but uh, God lays out our paths, and we just take and one day at a time and walk in them, So, but I really appreciate your prayers. Uh, would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 with me? I love the Bible in all its parts. I love the parables of Jesus. And I love the six verses that we are going to take a brief look at this morning. It's probably one of my, one of my favorite uh, passages in, in, of Scripture. Uh, because of the scenario that Jesus presents here, it reveals such profound truth for us. So Luke 18, we are going to read verses 9 through 14, if you would follow along with me there. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, could not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for all we've enjoyed today, for the opportunity to sing those songs of praise and just lift our voices and our hearts to bless you in song and prayer. And thank you for the prayers already that we have uh, shared in this morning. And now as we uh, consider this passage of Scripture, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our understanding, speak through your word today to our hearts, Lord, so that we might uh, gain wisdom and insight 
into what you uh, have for us, your will for our lives. Uh, help us, Lord, to just give it over to you today, to surrender to you and humble ourselves before you. Uh, for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. It's quite a prayer, really. Now, as you have no doubt observed, there is a vast divergence of opinion in our world today when it comes to the whole subject of truth, and particularly the truth about ourselves. And I want to suggest to you today, based on both Scripture and upon personal observation, that how we see ourselves, what we believe about ourselves, as well as what we believe about others and how we see them, well, we can be very mistaken about these things. I have a key contention for you to consider as we spend this time in the Word together this morning, and I'm going to state it right at this point. I want to give you a piece of wisdom, something I have learned in my lifetime, but more importantly, something that is reflected here in this passage of Scripture. So here it is. One of the biggest mistakes we can make in our lives is to think that we are somehow fundamentally different from others. Now, the fact that we're all different in many ways couldn't be more obvious. Some of us are more different than others. We're all unique. Take the whole fingerprint thing. Doesn't it just blow your mind that God made each one of us in such a way that we have what's almost like a, uh, uh, a personal identification? <laughs> and yet, we all have fingers. Unless you've unfortunately been one of those that have lost yours. That happens. Uh, we are different in many ways, but the differences while fascinating, are not fundamental. They're not vital. They're not crucial. They're not integral. They're not essential. They're not primary. The things that set us apart pale in comparison to the things we have in common. And that means we are far more alike than we are different. And we are alike in the ways that matter more. We are not fundamentally different from one another. Now, that might not seem at first blush to be a super important point to make, but I want for us to think a little bit about this this morning. The Pharisees stood and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. One of the games we like to play in life is uh, sometimes called the comparison game. We like to uh, play it and uh, probably because we're so good at it. It seems we all have this amazing ability to uh, overlook 
in a millisecond all the significant things we have in common with someone and readily identify all the nuanced ways we are different. It's quite amazing, really. We hone in on the distinctives. And this is an indication to me that the differences are what really matter to most of us, even when they shouldn't. Now, perhaps it's because the differences make life interesting. Uh, Fun, even. Uh, Think about the penchant we have for categorizing people. That's fun. I think about the whole, uh, there are two kinds of people in the world, memes. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are optimists and pessimists. I'm thinking you're a glass half empty kind of guy. Extroverts and introverts. I've heard so many of these, I'm sure you have as well. It seems like there's millions of them. I'm sure you've seen them, heard them. Um, The fact that there's so many categories should be assigned to us. But it can be a lot of of fun. Um, Someone said there's two kinds of people in the world. There's morning people and those who want to shoot morning people. It is true that the differences uh, make life fun and interesting, and they attract us. There's beauty in the differences. They say variety is the spice of life, and I tend to believe that's true. It's valid. What a bland world it would be if everything or everyone was the same. So, viva la différence. I don't want anything I say this morning to be interpreted to mean that the differences don't exist or that we should blur them or distort them, but rather that we do need to appreciate them for what they are. But we need to do that with the recognition that what we have in common is far more substantial. It can be fun to play the comparison game Or it can be frustrating. And it's very frustrating when it's rooted in pride. And the tendency we have to think we are different from others in a fundamental way is rooted in pride. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are givers and takers. The takers may eat better, but the givers sleep better. Have you heard that one? I think we can appreciate the wisdom in recognizing that there's a measure of peace that comes from learning to be a giver. I think learning to be a giver can help you sleep better at night. I say that having hardly slept a wink last night. But, but if I'm honest with you, I find myself being a taker. Because the question, what's in it for me, keeps surfacing in my heart 
and impersonating genuine concern for other people. I don't know how much you can relate to that, but I suspect if we are honest, all of us have to admit that we struggle with that. So let's just talk science for a little bit here. How many science fans do we have in the room? Put your hand up if you enjoy science when you're in school or even today. Not that many. This is supposed to be a mass science uh, generation, so I don't know what that means. But anyways, um, I mentioned fingerprints. We all have unique fingerprints. We also have our own DNA. No two people have exactly the same DNA. You know that, right? Um, Back in April of 2003, scientists associated with the National Human Genome Research Institute completed, finally, the Human Genome Project. 2003, seems like a long time ago, 20 years. Um, Their work made it possible to examine human ancestry and genetics, and that's why you and I, if we choose, can now send a sample of our DNA to a company like Ancestry and find out all kinds of interesting things about our ancestors and our relatives. That's fun. (laughs) But the research has done more than just satisfy curiosity. It helps solve crimes, right? You've seen that. But that's not what I'm talking about. Roger Highfield, science editor of the UK Telegraph, reported on December 20th, 2002, on a study done at Stanford University, which determined that all humans are genetically 99.9% identical. Think about that. All humans are genetically 99.9% identical. And then he, he added this, and this second statement is probably even more profound than the first. Of that tiny 0.1% difference, 99% of the variation is among individuals from the same population and only 6% between individuals from different populations. So just to clarify what that means, one of the researchers put it this way, there is more genetic similarity between an Australian Aborigine and a Northern European than there is between most people of different tribes in Africa. There are profound implications of this, one of which is to make abundantly clear the truth that appearances or apparent differences are generally superficial in nature. Young people should keep that in mind when you're looking for a potential mate. 
Appearances are superficial in nature. We have our differences. And they should make life fun and interesting, but our differences pale in comparison to what we have in common with one another. And when we allow our perceived differences to supersede our awareness of what we have in common, we get a distorted picture of both ourselves and others. Now, uh, racism is certainly one of the more heinous examples of this kind of thinking. There is absolutely no justification for it whatsoever. It's foolish and absurd. The Pharisee stood and he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. In an extreme form, this type of thinking could be expressed like this. There are two kinds of people in the world. There's me and there's everyone else. Now, that might sound absurd to your ears, but it's actually a common attitude. I've heard people say it. Not in so many words as that, but I've heard people say things like this. I've heard people say, maybe you've heard people say this, I'm just different. I'm not like everyone else. And by that, they mean that the rules that apply to everyone else don't apply to them. Why? Because they're different. That's a mistake you don't want to make. For one thing, what that does is it presents us with excuses. You have to admit it's quite convenient. How many of you have had someone say to you something like this? That's great for you, but I'm not like you. And with those few words, they've just written off your entire experience because they're not like you. Now, that can mean I don't need a crutch like you do. Or it can mean God can never forgive someone like me. It can go either way, but either way, it's the result of thinking that we are somehow different from others on a fundamental level. Now, in the story here, the Pharisee and the tax collector, it's very obvious that the Pharisee thinks he's different in ways that make him better than others. So, like others, he doesn't need the mercy and forgiveness of God. Um, The parable comes to us with the context that helps us get the point. It says there that Jesus told this parable, verse 9, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The word others in the Greek there is literally all others. And the, the word for contempt there is literally as nothing. So thinking I am fundamentally better than others is a big mistake. But just the very idea of thinking that I am somehow different in a fundamental sense 
whether that's in a positive way or a negative way, is extremely problematic because it prevents us from owning our humanity and owning our fallen humanity. Because either way, if you think you're different, you think you're special, and you're not. Thinking we're different from others in a negative way is probably just inverted pride. Because humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's more about how we relate to others and particularly how we relate to God. We're all equal. First in our humanity, but also in our fallenness, our sinfulness. And yet one of the most prominent aspects of our sinfulness is pride. And it's not good. Pride is not good. Having the faith that Jesus talked about in Scripture must begin with humility. It has to. And as this parable unfolds, the truth of Jesus' teaching is so profoundly essential to the gospel that he presented. Jesus told the disciples elsewhere that the spirit of truth would come and convict the world of sin. Do you suppose Jesus was just talking about unbelievers? You know, like, You're my disciples, but when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, all those sinners out there. If the Spirit of God doesn't reveal our incredible neediness to us, we will never recognize his incredible provision for us, his grace. If we don't see ourselves for who we are, And who we truly are will never see him for who he truly is or see what he has done and promises to do for us. If we don't see ourselves as sinners, we will not behold him as savior. If we don't humble ourselves before God and cry out for mercy, we will walk away every time in the same sorry state we came in, even without realizing it. We desperately need the Spirit of God to use his word to personally convict us of sin, to pull back the blinders, because that's one of the scariest parts of all this, is the blindness. Paul Tripp says, when it comes to spiritual blindness, we are blind to our own blindness. This Pharisee in Jesus' story really believed what he said. He believed it. I thank you, God, for this reality that I am not like other men. And he couldn't have been more wrong. And that's a scary thing. On the other hand, God be merciful, beating on his breast, God be merciful to me, a sinner, a sinner. 
And I wonder if we just pause for a moment. Have you prayed that prayer? I know you've prayed the prayer of the Pharisee before because all of us have had times in our life when we looked at other people and thought, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. But have you prayed the prayer of the the publican, the tax collector? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'd like to just dig a little bit deeper on this this morning with you. Uh, It's something that has profoundly impacted me in my life. And when I was, uh, Josh asked me to speak this morning and told me that this was a one-off Sunday. You know what that is? It means it's not part of a series we're doing or a book we're going through or whatever. It means you get to pick whatever you want to speak on. And when I chose this passage, I chose it because it's had a, a profound effect on my own life. And I hope it's okay for me to do that. And if it's not okay, that's all right too because I am still a pastor and I get to choose what... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So I'd like to dig in just a little bit deeper here. The Pharisee in Jesus' story is attempting to distinguish himself from his contemporaries. He's thinking about the people he knows or the people he knows of um, and how they live their lives. Because he's looking right at one of them while he's talking to God, presumably. He says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, you know, extortioners and adulterers. And and then he looks over and he says, or or like that guy over there. Thank you, God, I'm not like him. Just look at him. It's obvious in the context that, that the Pharisee is thinking about those he, uh, people he knows or knows of and how they live. But I've observed this phenomenon more and more based not just on a perception of how people live, but when they have lived. In other words, this can become a generational thing. Because every generation likes to think they're special. Now, there's a reason to believe that this has always been an issue, this whole generational thing. Uh, They have a game show, a new game show on TV. I haven't seen it yet, but it's a battle of the generations. That should be interesting. But anyways, there's there's reason to believe it's always been this way, but I I believe the notion that uh, that has been fueled in recent generations by the embracing of evolutionary theory within popular culture to the point that almost everyone seems to have this idea that people are just getting better and better and better and we know better and better and better how to live. And people in general hold so firmly to this ideology that even the most blatant evidence to the contrary does nothing to deter them. So for example, the current mental health crisis among our young people. What is going on? It couldn't be because we're wrong about anything because we, we're, we're finally the ones who've got this figured out. Right? 
I mean, we, we, now, now we know. We know that those who preceded us, they, they, they didn't have it figured out, but, but we, we, we've got it figured out, how we should be living and what's right and what's true about life. But what about all those young people out there that are just dying when they follow the advice of the current culture? It's Father's Day. And one of the questions that continuously consumes the mindfulness of parents is how can I provide some essential guidance to my children? Jerry mentioned it in his prayers when he prayed for us this morning. But it's hard. Why is it so hard? Well, it's hard in large part because we keep running into an attitude. And the attitude is you don't understand. You don't know what it's like. You're nothing like me. You have no idea what it's like to be me. And they really believe that. I like to say, I, I was 16. You've never been 63. But I, I like to say that, but I don't usually say that, but... But then the, the worst part is, is then the culture comes along, uh, the, whether it's the uh, authorities, school authorities, or mass media, whatever, and they say, you're right. You're right. Your parents really don't know a whole lot. And your grandparents, they know even little. And your great, great, great parents, well, they're so naive, they, they're probably, they were probably swinging from the trees. Have you seen this floating around social media? It's a, um, again, I mean that, that I, I've seen more than once. It goes like this. Tell me if you've seen this. You cannot raise your children how your parents raised you because they raised you for a world that no longer exists. The origins of that statement are a little uncertain, although it seems to come from the Muslim uh, Islamic tradition. Um, but I've seen Christians share that on their social media. And I hope that you can recognize that there is more falsehood in that than there is truth. There is more falsehood in that statement than there is truth. Why? Why would I say that? Here's why. Because the things that have changed are not as fundamental as the contents, constants, the things that don't change, like human nature. Take a look at this passage of scripture with me. This is the only time we're gonna wander away from uh, the text in Luke 18 today. I wanna just take a quick look at the first uh, uh, five verses of um, Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs chapter four says, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. 
When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. And I read that recently, I thought, wow, we've come a long way from that. A long way. This is the fight that Blaine Higgs is fighting in New Brunswick. Have you been paying attention? This is the fight that he's fighting. And I pray for him. That God would strengthen him for that battle. Because parents are being cut right out. Cut right out of the whole thing. Um, I guess... They allowed me lots of time today, so I wasn't going to say this, but I'll say it. Um, three or four times now in the news recently, I've heard educators and LGBTQ plus representatives talk about our children. We need to protect our children. From who? Well, from their parents, of course. That's enough of that. I've been a pastor for 35 years now, and not too long ago, I came across these words. Someone wrote these words. They said, I now have over 30 years of pastoral experience, and it's never mattered less. When I wrote the, read, read those words, I had to admit to feeling that way at times. Why? Because so much has changed. So much has changed. I think I've seen more change in the past few years of my life than I did in the first 60. Technology is a big part of that, for sure, especially communication technology and things like the internet and social media because these things seem to have changed our world so very much, and the learning curve is a steep one. I don't want to generalize too much about older people, but most of us don't have a great aptitude for technology. But... Regardless, it, 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 all of us struggle with it. Um, it it's, it's a steep learning curve. And, and our kids and our grandkids, they laugh at us. And a lot of the time, it's just, it's just fun. I, I believe uh, part of aging well is learning not to take yourself too seriously, learning to laugh at yourself. Um, it's, it's an essential part of humility, right? I just think, you know, you're paying full price for jeans that are all worn out and ripped to shreds and you're laughing at me. Like, how does that work? I don't know. But all the change does beg a question. And the question is, in a world where everything um, today seems so different than it was yesterday, is there any value in having been around yesterday? Is there any value in life experience when life seems to have changed so much and so fast? Now, again, I, I, a lot of this is just fodder for good-hearted teasing. It's just good fun. There's, there's a reason why there's so many good jokes about getting old. There's a good reason for that. I had to fight the temptation not to tell a few of those right now, but for the sake of time, I, I, I won't. But, but there's a serious side of this because what I see a lot of is, is contempt. 
It's contempt. Contempt for anyone who lived back in the dark ages before 2015 when we all got woke. (laughs) C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. I don't think contempt is too strong a word to describe what we see on display when contemporary society looks back over its shoulder, even to the point of rewriting history. Something that seems to be okay. We'll rewrite the history. How prideful is that? How arrogant is that? And yet it's all based on this idea that we know better. I appreciate Jerry's prayer because this, this does go both ways. Young people don't hold the monopoly on pride. You do know that, right? It's not unusual for older people to think they have little to learn from someone younger than them. The point this morning is that in order to learn from someone, you have to be able to relate to them. You can't be thinking that you're, you're that different than other people if you want to learn anything from them. We need to recognize and we need to appreciate the commonalities, which means listening needs to go both ways. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. This line of thinking is wrong-headed for multiple reasons. Beliefs become attitudes. Attitudes affect how we think about ourselves and others and how we approach the Bible. So if you will allow me one more extrapolation here, it affects how we approach the Bible. How so? Well, let me put it in these terms. This is an old book. The authors, human authors, and the characters in this book lived thousands of years ago. That makes it a very old book. So how relevant can it be, really? These people knew nothing of so many of the things that seem so much a part of my life. Even common things such as electricity or internal combustion engines, let alone computers and smartphones and AI, Their world is so far removed from mine, so unlike mine, not only in technology, but in language, in culture, and in time. It's like we're living in a whole new world. So how could the lessons of their lives be relevant to my life now? Now, maybe you don't feel your mind sliding in that direction, but be careful with this. Because it's a very subtle inclination that creeps into our thinking and it finds fertile soil to grow in a pride of our hearts. And that's the pride that's in all of us. The world today, in large part, and popular culture at least, does not believe in such a thing as sin. It's not part of their ideology. It's not part of the worldview. It's not part of their frame of reference. It's not part of how they think and live their lives. It's like sin is a thing. It's obviously a thing in the Bible, but I mean that's antiquated, right? But today, sin's not a thing. At least, at least when when the world in general, the popular culture considers the concept of sin, it's always out there somewhere. It's never in here never 
personal. It says he beat upon his breast and cried out, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Paul Tripp writes these words, and Doug Campbell shared these words this week from his devotional reading. Paul Tripp said, you will never understand your struggle with sin unless you grasp that at its, at its very bottom, sin is a heart problem. It's not first a problem of bad behavior, although it does go there. It's not first an external temptation problem, although it causes us to give in to temptation. It's not first a location or situation problem, although it expresses itself there. Sin is a matter of the heart. And sin is something that we all have in common. And there's so much to think about in this regard. We are all made in the image of God. All made in the image of God. We are all sinners by birth and by choice. And we are all loved by God and eligible for the mercy of God without exception. Without exception. Without exception. You can be accepted by the holy almighty creator of the universe who made you and loves you in spite of your sinfulness. You can be accepted by his grace. How, how do I know that? How can I say that? I don't even know some of you. It's because all, all can be accepted. Anyone who comes, Jesus said. The final words here couldn't be more relevant or more profound. Jesus is speaking and he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Once again, none of this is to say that we should blur the distinctives. I thank God for the differences. Uh, They're not unimportant. They are what makes life interesting and fun and beautiful. But, and the but is big, but we must keep those things in perspective. How do we do that? We do that by recognizing the fundamental and profound ways we are in fact not different at all. If you study the book of Romans, you will know that the first three chapters, Paul goes to great length to make the point, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter who you are, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the gospel is for everyone because we have those fundamental common things in common Yes, a lot has changed over the years, in recent years in particular. And we can even say there are a great number of improvements that have been made in a a lot of areas. But better technology doesn't make better people. And there's a difference between acquired knowledge and wisdom. If the human race really was changing in any fundamental way, then scripture would slowly become 
irrelevant. But Scripture is not irrelevant. It's just as relevant today as, as it's ever been. The applications might look different sometimes, but the Scriptures themselves and the principles thereof are both timeless and universal. Timeless and universal. It's an old book, but it's an inspired book. And it's a book that's inspired and it's about not just people way back when, but about you and me today. And the challenges they faced in Jesus' day are the exact same challenges that you and I face today. It has not changed. And the solution remains the same. We need to identify with these men. You say, which one? Both of them. We need to identify with the Pharisee. We need to see ourselves in the Pharisee because we have the same tendency to distance ourselves from the rest of fallen humanity because of the deceitfulness of sin in our hearts and the pride in our hearts. But we need to relate to this tax collector. We need to humble ourselves. We need to own our sin and our shortcomings as part of the fallen human race. We need to see our neediness and we need to cry to God for his mercy. You're not special. And that's good news. That's the very best news. Because it means that the gospel applies to you. Just like it applies to all of us. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Every tribe, tongue, and nation from every corner of the earth and every age in history. And in case you need me to say it today, God has not changed. I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. I'm really glad for that. I'm really glad for the fact that God doesn't change because it means the gospel hasn't changed and people haven't changed. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close. Every time a pastor prepares a sermon or a preacher prepares to speak, they always should think about how they're going to end the sermon time. And it's one of the tough things because it's not always easy to know what the best way to do that is. Can't really go wrong with prayer. And, I, and I'm glad I, I, I remember to ask you to stand too because I think it's important that we respond in prayer this morning. Now, you don't need to pray audibly out loud to pray. I'm going to pray out loud. But you can pray in your heart. And I would encourage you to do that. I, I don't know. Some, there's people here I don't, I don't know. But there's things I know about you, even though I don't know you personally. I know you need Jesus. I know you're a sinner, and I know a whole lot about the challenges that you face in your life because they're not that different than the challenges I face in my life. I know you need forgiveness. I know you need mercy because we all do. And I just, I just want to close the service in prayer.
and ask you to pray with me. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord God, I thank you for the privilege of being able to share with this uh, tremendous group of people today. I thank you for our church family and for others who might be joining us today in this message time. Most of all, Lord, I thank you for your word and for your, your precious uh, Holy Spirit who uses your word to convict us, not only to convict us of sin, but to also reveal yourself to us as Savior. I thank you for this portion of Scripture. And Lord, I, I pray that you would use it in our hearts this day and going forward. I pray for these people here, Lord, today. And I ask, Lord, that they might even now join their hearts in prayer to you and call out for the mercy that you alone can give, but which all of us are in desperate need of. I pray, Lord, that there might not be one person that would leave this room today or leave their computer screen or whatever the case might be without recognizing the pride and sinfulness that is in all of us and the great need that we have for your mercy and grace. And help us, Lord, help us to see ourselves correctly. Help us to see others correctly, Lord, that we wouldn't cut ourselves off from humanity, from fallen humanity, that we would learn from one another, and most importantly, learn from your word. Oh God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen.